best thing about the podcast is that really it splits into two categories. The first being photographers that I followed for a long time or creatives in general that I followed for a long time and um, have been fans of their work for an extended period of time in a kind of stalkerish sense. And then the other side of it, which is actually probably, depending on the day, I think they're good to offset each other, but can be a lot more fun is when I find someone um, that's new to me, but their style jumps out at me so much, their work jumps out at me so much that I immediately want to kind of um, learn their secrets, talk to them and pick their brains. And you fall into the into the latter category. So before we really go on a deep dive here, let's just start off by letting everyone know how it is that you first found photography. Why did you first become a photographer? Oh, great question. Uh, so I, I've always been like into visuals and stuff like that. I'm a very visual learner. So a lot of my like creativity comes from visual things. Like when I was younger, I would do art classes and stuff. And when I was like 10, my mom bought me and my sister, this little like Kodak point and shoot, like right before they went bankrupt, they were having like huge sales. So she bought us this little point and shoot camera and I took an art class. And for one of the units we did photography. So we'd kind of learn like basic, like composition and like leading lines and rule of thirds and like, just, you know, super basic stuff. So I got like a pretty decent understanding of it from then, but then I didn't really get into like actual photography until about 2016 when I got my first uh, Sony camera. It was a a6000 and it was just like the kit lens, but it was already like a thousand times better than the point and shoot. So I would actually try and use it to take photos, but I didn't really have too many people to photograph. So I was just be like taking photos of like trees and, you know, just like small things here and there. And then it wasn't until I started doing like videography with it that I kind of started liking the photography aspect of it because once I started doing video, I picked up a couple of prime lenses. So, you know, my photos were actually getting like decent. And then um, I, from there, I just kind of started expanding my creativity and it started off as like gym videography for like my friends and stuff, since we all like weightlift and stuff. So we would make like little gym edits for Instagram. Um, but then when the, the pandemic hit and all the gyms shut down, that's when I was like, Oh, like I can finally have time to go out and do like portrait work and stuff that I actually like. So I haven't actually been shooting like my current style for longer than like five months, which a lot of people don't believe me. But um, before that, it was just all gym, like gym photography and just gym videography. And it wasn't until the pandemic hit where I lost my job and I just had all this time to actually utilize um, my camera that I started actually doing like uh, the kind of work that I do now. So um, it started a while ago, but it, it didn't really get serious until like this year. Well, it's interesting you bring up pandemics and gyms because literally on Saturday, I joined the gym to try and lose some of the weight that I've put on during the pandemic. And we've just been given a second lockdown. So now the gyms are closed. So I'm out a load of money and I'm still fat and there's another lockdown. So that's fun for us to enjoy. Going back to this kind of this aesthetic that you found since the start of lockdown, this style that's so fresh. And I'm going to have to say that I'm in uh, with the group of people that don't believe that you've only been doing it such a short amount of time. How did you come about sort of deciding on and finding this really atmospheric, I hate the word retro because it gets applied to everything now, but it is a very retro look. It's almost, it's almost got, it's a little bit of a footing in with eighties horror in the term, in the sense of like the atmosphere and the feel of the image, not in the actual content. It's got such a, an old filmic vibe to it and there's, there's so much atmosphere how did who who influenced you to come come to sort of that conclusion with what you wanted to do yeah so the reason that i i like my photography looks the way that it does is because when i when i started doing it like five months ago um i would do it in the corner of my room and i didn't have like any backdrops or anything so i didn't want to show my room in the photo so i would make it as dark as possible so that like the the room itself wasn't really visible and it would be just the corner of my room and my lights would be off and I would have like one or two lights on just enough to actually light up the model, which was my girlfriend. Cause she was the one that would come over all the time. Um, so it wasn't really that I was like trying to go for it. It was more so that I didn't really have anywhere to shoot. So I was trying to create these like cool looking photos without actually incorporating like my room and stuff because my room just didn't look like photogenic whatsoever. So I would just clean out this little corner of my room and then I would have like one or two lights going. And I really like the way that like, um, smoke looks in photos because you can actually see the light rays. And I feel like 
when you have that, it adds that like atmospheric look to it. So at the time I didn't actually have a smoke machine. So I would, I grabbed um, my old vape pen and I would just sit there and puff on it for like 10 minutes, <laughs> filling, up, yeah, filling up the room with smoke. And my girlfriend would like be coughing and I would be coughing, but it would go on until we had like a good haze going. And then I would set up my lights. And then with my lights, I was able to actually like morph the photo a little bit. And since there was like really nothing in the photo except for her, um, I think the light played a really big role in it. And once I started buying equipment and like actually got backdrops and stuff, I, I still kept the same look because it's just kind of like really liked it and I knew how to do it. So, um, I, yeah, the, the whole look kind of formed from using what I had available at the time, not really anything else. And I mean, I, I ended up liking it. So that was like a win-win for me. Like I didn't need a ton of equipment and I liked it. So it was fun to shoot. Um, but I mean, if it looks good, you know, it looks good. So that's kind of how it came about. Yeah. There's a few photographers that could learn from, if it looks good, then it's good, you know, rather than always kind of working on the basis of trying to appease people that don't like something that they've done, just work on what they actually do like the look of. And also, I didn't realize I was talking to a human smoke machine. So this is a first for the podcast in 119 episodes. Um, we're probably, we probably need to say that that's not something that we would maybe suggest that people try, but innovation is a great oh, thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned obviously starting off photographing your girlfriend and since then you've worked with other models, you know, what are you looking for in terms of a subject? Yeah. So I started off with my girlfriend cause I was the only person that like was available. And when the pandemic hit, I was really limiting who I would see and we would just, you know, be together all the time. So I was like, Oh, it's safe to be around her. Um, but now that I, I moved out of Wisconsin and moved to California during the pandemic, since, you know, I lost my job, I was like, well, I don't have anything tying me down here. Um, and when I got to California, I started meeting a bunch of people and, they were all, you know, into the arts and stuff. So we started, that's how I started shooting with different people. But what I really look for in like a model is I honestly, I look for people that aren't models because I feel like when you shoot with a model, it, it almost puts this pressure on you. Like, Oh, they're super serious about it. So now I have to be super serious about it. And I feel like that's not really my style. Like when I shoot with the model, I just kind of, we, you know, we have music going in the background. We're joking around. We're not really taking it super serious. And I feel like that creates the most genuine looking photos. But when you work like with actual models, you know, you have to have like a makeup artist and you have to have perfect lighting and you have to do all these things like retouching and stuff. And that's just not really like my vibe. So I look for people that are comfortable enough to actually do poses and look good in them. Cause you know, sometimes people pose and they just look awkward cause they're not used to doing it. So I look for people that are comfortable doing poses and people that are like going to take it serious enough that we can get good photos, but not too serious where it becomes kind of a pressure on you. And then it kind of gets you out of the element and you don't end up making as good of work as you could. If, if people were just a little more relaxed and enjoying the moment rather than trying to do it just for the sole purpose of making photos. I mean, when it comes to working with people that aren't used to being in front of a camera as much, like, sort of like you're kind of alluding to, uh, there's a lot of, it's the best way to put this, is you do more lifting as a photographer. So where there's less pressure in terms of the outcome, there's actually, to an extent, a little bit more work for you to do in the way that not only you, you see what's going on, but the way you communicate how to improve it. Um, in terms of like directorial style, you know, it's it's something I find fascinating, especially with Americans, because in England, we tend to be either painfully complimentary, which I find incredibly gross uh, from my own personality's point of view, or you, you're like me and you're just incredibly blunt and you spend most of the shoot just taking the piss out of each other. What's your directorial style? Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I like to, I like to give direction because I like to, you know, I have, I, people always ask me, what kind of photos are we going to take? And it's hard to like explain it just cause it's hard to explain my style in general. So I'll just like try and make a mood board, but would like not even end up using it. So I just, I try to direct the people as little as possible on like the, the actual posing because a lot of my work comes from how the light looks. So I'll be, I'll have them do like a pose. I'll be like, Oh yeah, that's good. Let's, let's hold that for a second. Um, so I can get into the angle and then we'll take a couple photos and they'll be like, yeah, just relax. I'm going to change up the lighting. And then I'll do all this light changes and then I'll be like, yeah, let's go back to that one pose. And then we'll kind of work from there. But 
I like the model to be, you know, as relaxed as possible. So I don't make them do like super crazy poses. A lot of my posing is just like super basic, but it's the lighting that carries the photo to begin with for me and for my style. So whatever they end up doing, I can usually find a way to make it look good. So if they do a pose that's like not super interesting, I can usually find a way to light it to make it look interesting. And I feel like that makes it easier for the model because then they're not feeling super uncomfortable. And then it makes it easier for me too. Cause then I get a photo that I actually like at the end and then we end up both liking it. So, um, a lot of my posing in direction is an actual like posing in direction. It's just me working around with the light and trying to get the model to feel comfortable because I feel like if they are uncomfortable, you can see that in photos and I don't want that. I want my photos to look genuine. Um, and I feel like I capture that pretty, pretty well because I'm just super relaxed during the shoot and I don't focus too much on direction, just enough to get the photo, but not enough to, make it like actual, like, Oh, move your hip here, move your hip there, you know, do this, do that. You look good. You look bad, you know, stuff like that. Like, I, I feel like once you start doing that, it makes the model too uncomfortable. And then you can kind of start seeing that in the photos. Yeah. I mean, I always refer back to a, a workshop I did a few years ago where um, I was talking through directorial styles and the way that I work, which is I, I generally explain the mood, which is something I think a lot of people leave out when they're working, especially with with specifically models, they don't sort of engage with what the mood of the shoot is. They just talk about, you know, I want this body part here, this body part here and so on. And there was actually a guy on the workshop that asked the model at one point to rotate their pinky. And that was like the absolute epitome of micromanaging when it comes to posing. I can't think of a, a way to make people feel more uncomfortable and ask them to rotate fingers and stuff. It's, it's a fucking unusual place to be. If I can ask a, a pretty ignorant question here. I, I come to America a lot when we're actually legally allowed to. I feel like America's sort of 50 countries under the guise of being one country because state to state, there's pretty enormous differences. And if you go, you know, northeast compared to southwest, there's just enormous, enormous differences in, in what you're seeing, the geography in terms of um, the politics, in terms of the weather and so on. So I don't feel like it's, it's one big country. I feel like it's 50 countries that's pretending to be one big country. Do you notice a difference in, in people's sort of comfortability in front of a camera in California compared to in Wisconsin? Oh, 110%. Um, yeah. Every state is just completely like different, which is crazy to me because, you know, some states, I mean, states in, in, in the U S are, you know, the size of like countries, you know, they're, they're pretty big. Like Texas itself is like half of Europe, but like, the people that live in different states are just completely different. So in California, everyone's all about the arts. You know, everyone's super into some form of art. It's just a lot more, you know, you do your own thing and you're, you're not really judged for it versus in Wisconsin, which is where I lived my whole life. If you're not this like type of person that everyone else is, you'll get judged. And I feel like that makes people not want to pursue what they actually like. And that's why a lot of people I know, like moved out of Wisconsin because if you're into the arts and you stay in a place that it doesn't really accept it, you're not really going to get anywhere with it. So uh, places like Wisconsin and like the, you know, Texas and stuff like that, they don't put a super big emphasis on being yourself and being who you want to be. Whereas like States more West, like California, they, they like emphasize being on who you are and who you want to be. And I feel like that's why so many creatives live in these really big States, like a, California or like New York city and stuff, because people are, aren't scared to be who they actually are. It's also a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you can't build up a community if everyone's moving to California, but everyone's moving to California because that's where the community is. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of people in California, but I mean, as of recently, because of the pandemic, I feel like a lot of people actually left California from like the news mm. articles that I've been reading. Like I think LA for the first time, it has like vacant like apartments and that's like crazy because LA is known as like the most overpopulated city here, but now there's just like so many vacant, like vacant apartments since the pandemic started. So, um, I know in Texas, there's like the bigger cities like Houston and Austin have a, a nice growing population of creatives. I know in the Midwest, Chicago is just a great place to be. And then on the East coast, you have like, um, New York and like certain other cities that are just really good creative hubs. But when you're in like the Midwest, like uh, 
Kansas and like Nebraska, like those like smaller populated states, it's almost like impossible to build a community because one, no one wants to live there because there's nothing there. It's just flat land. Um, and two, even if you were to live there, the people would probably judge you and that just would ruin your creativity. So I think it's really, it depends on where you are that is going to allow you to be yourself or not. But um, there's more and more cities popping up that have a community being built, which is really cool. And then looking at the work that you're putting out now, one of the things that I do quite often, and I actually did when I found your work, I was, um, not to make this incredibly creepy, but I was going to bed and I tend to go through my explore page. <clears throat> yeah, I, I just don't ask, right? So I, I go to, uh, I go to bed. I generally then do what everyone does, which is they're too tired to be awake. So I go to bed and they sit up for two hours, just scrolling through Instagram and various other apps. And, um, I, I tend to go through my explore page and just go on a bit of a hunt for photographers because sometimes your newsfeed can become a bit stale for, for whatever reason. So I'm doing, I'm doing the usual. I'm going through, I'm scrolling. I find your work actually shared on one of these slightly irritating portrait pages that you follow them because you find one thing you like and then you just get completely bombarded with really shit pictures of girls in clear glasses pretending to drink at Starbucks or something. Um, I find your image. I then hunt down through that, find the tags, find you. And I was so relieved to find that you had so many images that followed the same style. One thing that drives me personally crazy with photographers is when they have like one image that jumps out and then they jump completely to a different genre or a different style and then back and forth and back and forth. And you never really get a sense of what they're trying to do or what they're trying to communicate. When it comes to putting these shoots together, are you like mood boarding? Are you, do you, do you communicate quite a bit with the subject or do they turn up and you are then sort of directing from that point? Uh, yeah. So as recently I've been making mood boards just cause I feel like it's easier for the model to know what's going to happen going into it, but not like maybe like two or three shoots ago, I just didn't even make mood boards at all. I would just say, Hey, do you want to shoot? You know, I have this cool idea in mind. And they'd be like, yeah, like, I like your work. And, and you know, I trust you to make it look cool. I was like, yeah, I'll make it look cool. And they would just show up and we would just go off of what I had in my mind. Like I didn't have like any visual, um, any visual way of showing them what I was trying to get. I would just kind of have the idea in my mind. Cause a lot of my, a lot of my photography doesn't actually come from like other photography. There are photographers that I like that I'm influenced by, but a lot of my work just comes from, uh, comes from like music. If, it sounds really weird, but like when I listen to music, I'd like see colors and like make these, like these, these pictures in my mind that I think would go really good with these songs. And that's how I get most of my inspiration from is actually from music. Um, and obviously some other photographers, but there's not too many photographers I can name off the top of my head that I get direct and like directly inspired by. Um, so as far as mood boards go, I didn't even have a way of making mood boards until I got onto Pinterest like a, like a month ago. So mm -hmm. it's been about a month since I've been like looking at, you know, making mood boards and whatnot, but I try not to focus too much on mood boards because then, then you're trying to focus too much on someone else's style and not your own, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you can end up with that kind of unconscious thing where you start replicating when actually you're just trying to draw influence. And I've been in that position before where I've had like a, a general idea and then I've ended up being really fo like hyper-focused on the shoot and ended up producing something that looks exactly like what I was drawing influence from, but it's like too much like it. And there's no, there's no interpretation on my part. I've basically just tried to mimic something and, and then you don't want to use it because that sounds, well, it comes across like you've just ripped someone off basically. Can I ask you a really unusual and personal question? I don't think I've ever asked someone this on this podcast before. How old are you? Um, actually I just turned 21. I, I don't look like it whatsoever. I usually get people that <laughs> I tell them my age and they're like, you're lying. There's no fucking way. Like you're, you're lying to me. And then I pull out my, my license and show them and they're like, holy shit, you do not look like your age. And I think it's funny because I'm, I'm six foot three, I'm 260 pounds. I'm really muscular because I work out a lot. And then I'm taking these like super artsy looking photos. And then like, I just don't look like my age. I don't look like the personality type that I have. Like I'm just this like anomaly, you know, I, people 
look at my work and they're just like, there's no way you took that. And I was like, yeah, like that's me. That's all me. Um, but yeah, I'm 21. I just turned 21 in August, um, which kind of sucked because it was in the middle of pandemic. So we couldn't even go to bars or anything. So we just got really drunk at our house. Um, but you know, it's, I mean, as being a 21 year old, I think I'm in a good place because I started doing art relatively young. So I feel like I have a lot of time to grow. Um, but yeah, I'm 21. So people think you look older. Oh, a hundred percent. People, the right. most common like age I get is like, I, I'll ask someone be like, how old do you think I look? And I've been doing this since I was like 18. And they'd be like, uh, you look like you're 26. I was like, oh, that's interesting. They'd be like, how old are you? I'd be like, at the time I'd be like, I'm 19. Cause like when I first got my job at, uh, as a personal trainer, I was 19. So they would all be, um, like they would do group activities. Like the whole personal training team would do like, they would go to a bar or something. And I'd be like, Oh, I can't go. They'd be like, what do you mean you can't go? Like it was like my first week, like first week there, they were like, Oh, we're going to go to this bar. You want to come? I was like, I can't. They're like, what do you mean you can't? I was like, I'm 19. Like bullshit. I was like, dude, you hired me. <laughs> like, yeah, like you did not look at my age. Like I'm 19. Like I can't go to bars. And they would just all be like shocked. And every time I got a new client, they would ask about my age and stuff. And I'd tell them and they'd just be super shocked. But yeah, I'm also like not to brag or anything, but I, I feel like I'm a lot more mature than I actually like than most people, my age group. So that also plays into people thinking I'm older than I am. Yeah. I remember being 18 years old, starting a new job and someone saying that they thought I was 30, 31 and that hit me pretty hard. And ever since then, I've basically come to the conclusion that I just look like a permanently recovering meth addict, which is kind of sad, but you know, you kind of learn to just live with what you are. I mean, the reason I ask about your age is because I, I definitely agree in terms of the maturity and the fact that you've set, you set yourself a target, especially at such a turbulent time with your work to do something different. And, and you've done a pretty fantastic job of, of going in the right direction with that. Let's talk about gear. I don't really talk about gear on the podcast, but your work is um, a little bit different. So let's, let's start off with like your studio because I know there's a there's a um, like a bit of a studio tour I think on your YouTube. But let's talk about what you're using in studio. Yeah. So I when we moved into this house in California, um, California is super expensive. So the fact that we got a nice big size garage for what we're paying is just insane. Um, so none of us were using it. It was just kind of a, like a storage closet for us. And like, we don't even have that much stuff. We have like one couch in the entire house. So there's just a bunch of like empty boxes in the garage. So I was like, Hey, like, do you guys mind? Like, cause I have some roommates. I was like, do you guys mind if I like turn it into a photo studio? And they're like, nah, dude, go ahead. Like we're not gonna use it. So I went to this local camera store, um, and bought some backdrops because I was looking on Amazon and it was like, it was like $90 for a backdrop. Cause I wanted like as big as one as possible. Um, but the shipping was like a month cause it was like in the pandemic, I was like, I'm not waiting mm-hmm. a month to, to just to get this. And plus it'd be like another 20 bucks for shipping. I was like, yeah, screw that. So I went to this local camera store, got, got a, it was like a 12 foot backdrop. And then I got, um, the like, the stand for it I already had because I had like these, these, uh, clothes, like these cloth backdrops that I just never really liked. So I never shot with them. Um, so I just set that up in like a corner of the, of the garage and that's what I've been using. And then the other part of the other, like opposite side of the garage, I painted all black, like, um, both walls and then the ceiling I painted black, um, so that I could have like a blacked out corner. And I think that looks really cool. So that's, that's the two, like, uh, backdrops that I have in the garage. And then, um, as far as like lighting equipment goes, I have like the cheapest like led lights you can get on Amazon. And I have like these little janky floodlights that I got from Goodwill one day. And then I have these like little like desk lights that I just connect everything to. And then like attached to like old tripods that my mom got me from like a garage sale a few years ago. So it's like all just very not professional equipment. Um, but I make it work. So. Well, so absolutely. You make it work. Like it should be an inspiration for people that are complaining that the reason that they're not getting the images is because they don't have the equipment, because if you're getting what you're getting from what you're describing, then there's no excuse for anybody. Really. Are you someone that would want to stay on the continuous lighting route as opposed to going more into flash? Uh, yeah. So I was actually like recently looking at getting um, some more powerful lights. Cause the only downside about using the lights that I do use is they're not, they're not super bright. And so I can't, you know, I can't crank it up that high. So I was looking at possibly getting like a strobe, but 
I also don't like the way strobes look on like, they just make everything look too like unrealistic um, and like too professional. And I said, that's not how I like to light my subjects. So I like to stay with a continuous light. So I'm looking at strobes that could do both, um, but I'm not super into lighting. So I have no idea where to start. Um, but yeah, I would like to stay in continuous lighting because then it gives me a good idea of what the photo is going to look like when I take it versus like with a strobe, it's like off until you take the photo and then you have to like review it quick and then, you know, take the next shot. Whereas when it's continuous, you can see how the light looks before you even snap the shot. And I feel like that is just a lot easier for me. And then what's in your camera bag? So my camera bag, I, I usually only bring a couple lenses whenever I shoot anywhere. or I have the, the tiniest camera bag I bring everywhere because I used to have this massive camera bag and I would just bring literally everything and it would just weigh me down and I would get paralysis analysis where you just, or analysis paralysis where you just overthink everything. And then instead of doing one thing, you just don't, don't do anything. So I've narrowed it down to just my camera, which is the Sony a 6,400. The lens that I use is the Sigma 30 millimeter 1.4. And then I have all my filters. So I have like my ProMist, my star filters, my um, like CPL filters, like my ND filters, all that is like in one pocket. And then the backup lenses that I bring are the 50 mil 1.8 and then my kit lens. And then also the 16 mil 1.4 from Sigma. And then just recently I picked up uh, two little film cameras, like point and shoots. And I have one in my car that I always keep in my car. And then another one that I'll just bring with me uh, to like anywhere I go. So like, even if I'm going to the store, I'll just like throw it in my pocket just cause it's like super small. So um, yeah, I just carry one camera, like my SD cards, some batteries, spare lenses, and then the little spare uh, film cameras. I'm glad you mentioned the filters because I was positive that there had to be some kind of pro mist going on or, or like you mentioned, the star filter. So there, the pro mist is definitely seen as being more of a, a video sort of centric filter and it's not used as much, I guess, uh, or isn't as much regularity with photography as, as with, with video. What made you go down that route? Was it just to add more of the atmosphere? Yeah. So with, with the promise filters, I feel like it makes it look less digital, which is what I, I wanted to make it look like. Cause I feel like the over sharp, over contrasty look that you get from a lot of digital cameras just isn't like, I don't find it pleasing. You know, some people will, I personally don't. And, um, I do a lot of, you know, unique lighting and with these lighting, like, like that I have, it would just look a flatter if I didn't have the promise diffusing those highlights. So I always just have it on just because I feel like the diffusion you get from it makes the photo look more organic and not super like digital and sharp. And I, I just really like the atmospheric look it also gives. And when I combine my, my actual smoke machine that I got now, um, when I combine my smoke <laughs> machine with that, it gives it like a really, really cool uh, atmospheric soft looking look, which is exactly what I try and go for. So, um, yeah, I got it for the like softness and the just organic feel and then like the kind of vintagey look it gives all your photos. I mean, it sounds like I don't want to say something obviously, cause we, this is the, basically what people will be listening to with this podcast is pretty much the depth of the conversation that we've had so far, which is generally how I like to keep it. If it's someone new rather than you have like a really big pre-conversation and then I already know a load of answers and I, you know, I'm not going to react the same way, but it sounds to me like as opposed to what most people do in photography, which is they sort of bemoan the restrictions of the gear that they've got, or they bemoan the restrictions of the opportunities that they've got. You're kind of taking those restrictions exactly the way that people should take them. And you're, you're, you're working within them as hard as you can to get as much as you can from it. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, um, you should be able to get a, a decent amount of photos from like having very minimal gear and only shooting, you know, like for an hour, like you shouldn't have to do these super big productions to get good photos. Like a lot of, a lot of my photos, um, like a lot of them were like accidents almost like I, I don't go into a shoot 
thinking of what kind of photo I want to take. I just go into it and then whatever happens, happens. But if you're a good photographer, you should be able to make something out of almost nothing. So that's why like a lot of my earlier work is, you know, really cool. Cause I literally had like nothing and I was still able to make really good photos out of it. And I feel like a lot of photographers, like you said earlier, put their emphasis on like gear and stuff like that when that really shouldn't be the case. Do you feel like maybe it's a case of creativity being lost with a lot of photographers where they're sort of, I don't know what it's called. You're young. You'll know what I'm talking about. When, when you buy a video game now, like it, is it DLC where you have to pay to unlock like the rest of the video game? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's DLC and everyone hates it or it's like, um, exactly right. Everyone hates it, but, but people use, people use gear in photography as like DLC, right? Where they think that, okay, so I've got the camera, I've got, you know, X amount of lenses, like with what you're doing, you should be able to do an infinite amount of things with it. But they then are like, ah, oh, I can't progress beyond this point unless I, you know, pay for photography DLC. And then I go into, I get to open up the next door and suddenly that's going to reinvigorate everything. And then what always happens inevitably is that they buy that piece of gear and then it's the next piece of gear that's holding them back. It's kind of the same way that people use um, followers, subscribers, whatever you want to call it, where they talk about like the next big number. But there's no satisfaction in reaching 500 people if the second you reach it, you're thinking about, you know, a thousand people and then 2000 people and then 5000 people. Same thing, right? If you're constantly looking at what you don't have, you're not going to be satisfied and you're not going to be particularly creative. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it also just comes like stems down to people being, um, I don't want to sound mean or anything, but like people just not being creative enough. And this comes from... Uh, early in earlier in the year, remember when uh, FaceTime photography was like a thing for like a month? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There was this one photographer, <laughs> and that's there's one photographer on Instagram that I used to follow. Um, just super pretentious, and he was like, when people started doing that as a means of you know creativity or whatnot, which you know the concept's cool. Um, he was like, art is dead. People are taking pictures of their screen and calling that photography. It's like, dude, let people enjoy things. Like, and then for someone to say that and then for their work to not even be that good to like warrant an opinion like that, like, dude, like shut up. Your stuff's not even good. And then you're out here saying that art is dead. Like, can you be any more pretentious? Like as soon as he said that I, I unfollowed him and he's like a big, like a big photographer. He has like almost 700,000 followers. And then, so I feel like people are just, they're too scared to be creative and too scared to do their own thing because if it's not popular now, they feel like it's not going to be popular. And the, the thing that I always think about is now, you know, right now, because of TikTok and stuff like a uh, smoke bomb photography and like a glitter photography and like all these like super just cheesy forms of photography are like really popular right now. But in like 10 years, no one's going to be like, Oh, remember that one really cool smoke bomb photo? No, no <laughs> one's ever going to say that. It's the same thing as like, HDR photography, like early 2010s, everyone did it. Yep. And it was just this super cool thing. And now like, you can't even like, you can't remember a single good HDR photo that you like thought was cool back then, just cause it's, it's like a trend and right. like all trends, it's going to end eventually. And if you're not doing your own creative thing, no one's going to remember you. And I feel like with photography, you really have to, you know, the whole point of photography is capturing an important like moment and a cool like time that like a good, a good time in, in, in your life. And that's how photography originated. It was to document things. And if you're not do, trying your best to make those moments count, then it's not going to, in 10 years from now, why should it matter if it's not going to matter in, you know, right now in the moment? So I always try and make my photos as timeless as possible. Like if someone 50 years from now looks at my photos, they should still be impressed just as much as they are now versus if someone looks at like a smoke bomb photo right now, they're gonna be like, Oh, that's super cool. But like 20 years from now, they're gonna be like, Oh, it's just another smoke bomb photo. I remember when I remember when everyone was doing those, you know, like you gotta be your own unique self and you gotta do your own creative thing. And I feel like a lot of photographers just don't like have, they're just not confident enough in their, in their ability to do that. And I feel like a lot of people need to be more confident in their own style and not follow what's trending. In that vein, then, if you don't mind me asking a little bit of a weird question, but let's say what you're doing becomes the next trend. Would you find a way to kind of maneuver away from it? I feel like if you're, if you're like the pioneer of 
a certain style, you can continue to do it. So a good example is a uh, Brandon Wolfel dude's work is the like super um, neon looking look that was popular. Like I want to say like a year ago, it was like super, super popular. And it was like the, uh, the very bright neon signs and like the super, like almost like muted neon, but also like vibrant at the same time look. And it was like the first one to do that. And then everyone was like, yo, that's super cool. Let's all do that. And then everyone copied it. And now it's kind of a cliche to do it, but he continues to do it because he was like the first one to do it. So it still looks good when he does it. And I feel like that's the same thing with like any other kind of photography. Cause you're it's going to get to a point where if your work is really, really good, people are going to like it and people are going to obviously imitate and imitates like when one person imitates, someone's going to look at them and they're going to imitate and it's going to like snowball. And then everyone's going to be doing it. And then eventually people are going to be like, Oh, that, that looks so overplayed and it's going to become a cliche. But if you were like the first person to do that and like the first person to pioneer it, I feel like it's still okay for you to continue doing that. Like you shouldn't have to change your style because everyone else copied you. It should be the opposite. People should just not copy you in the first place and let you do your own style. If that makes sense. No, a hundred percent. Do you think it's the case that like, Photographers should be more focused just sort of internally. They should just be looking at their own work um, and they should be maybe not focusing internally, but just being a little bit less peripheral with their vision and constantly looking at what's, I suppose, actually, it's not so much about looking at other people's work, but kind of looking at the intrinsic value of that work. So if someone's getting a lot of likes and a lot of follows and so on, there are people, and obviously it's becoming more and more of a bit of a, a pandemic of itself where people find something that's popular and they try and do the same thing. I think YouTube's gone through it about a million times over. Instagram's going through it about a million times over where people, they see something gets a lot of likes. And even if it's not something that they could even begin to give a shit about, they immediately start attempting to do the same thing, attempting to to follow the same, the same path in the hope that it ends up with the same end product, which is all of these likes and um, subscribers and whatnot, which for some reason I can't figure out quite how it pays the bills, but fair play to them. Um, do you think it's the case that photographers would do a lot better to just kind of focus on what it is that they're trying to say rather than what's going to get them likes? Yeah, it, it's exactly that. It's a lot of like these like social media gurus and, you know, I, I hate those kind of people, but like, you know, those like people that are like, you, it's not the content, it's the like consistency and stuff like that. Like, no, it's a hundred percent the content. Like you can't put out garbage content and expect to get a ton of likes. And I see it more and more where people are like, like, especially on TikTok, there'll be like videos of someone like how to turn one piece of content into a month's worth of content. It's like, dude, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to break <laughs> one video into like 30 days worth of content? You're not going to actually be providing anyone any value. Whereas with me, I try to, you know, I try to, I have a lot of photos on my Instagram because I try and shoot as much soft, like as I can. And when I do a, like a shoot, I'll have photos for like two weeks and then I'll do another shoot and I'll have like another set of photos, but I won't sit there and reuse the exact, you know, 12 photos over and over and over again, just for the sake of uploading. Like I'll try and actually make work that's worth liking and worth sharing and like try and be unique into my own style and stuff. And I, I feel like more people have to do that and they have to stop doing this whole like stretching out, one bit of content is literally as far as they can before it, like they can't stretch it out anymore. And I feel like that's why there's just so much of this imitation going on is because those will redo the same thing over and over and over again. And it just gets so tiring. And I just never really see any like photographers on these social media platforms that are unique and that stick out. There's like a few that I actually really, really like, but the majority of them are just how to, how to make your photos do this and then like how to copy it and stuff like that. And it's just like, I don't know. I just, that doesn't really sit well with me. I think people should make art to make art. And then if people like it, cool. If not, whatever you're still doing, you know, what you like, if I get 10 likes on a photo, I'm going to like it just as much if, as if I got a thousand likes on a photo. And that's the case. Cause when I first started uploading, I would get like a hundred likes, which is like nothing compared to what these other photographers get. But I still like the photos from back then, just as much as like the, the photos that I get now that I get over a thousand likes, you know, they're the same like tier of quality. It's just less people knew about it back then than they do now. So um, people just definitely need to make original content and stop trying to focus on the, the quantity and start focusing more on the quality. It reminds me a little bit of when I used to be a musician and people would 
you would talk to a couple of people that you got introduced to who also played music and they played inevitably you had to find a guy that played bass because they're like fucking hen's teeth and you get into a room the first time you're meeting and the first thing you do is you're like okay we'll come up with a name we'll get a website we'll get merch it's like maybe write a fucking song first maybe come up with at least a relative idea of what it is that you're trying to create before you try and find a way to advertise it which is what i honestly feel like instagram looks like to me at the moment where people are uh, they try something for the first uh, my biggest bugbear there's a couple of i actually have the word banger when people say it's a banger photo drives me fucking insane when they talk about their own work and they call something a banger i just feel like maybe because it's you know americans tend to clap for themselves at the oscars and that's not really a british thing to do so maybe it's just a complete miscommunication because of the distance in between but that that one drives me mad but it's it's this idea that you try something once and that has to be documented and everyone has to see it and then you're an expert in how to do it and i see it on youtube quite a lot where people will try a new style and then they're giving tips on how to do that and it's like I don't know if I'd want someone who's doing something the first time to tell me how to do it ever. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that to a personal level because I like I'll show people my photography because they'll ask me like, oh, like, what do you do? I'll be like, oh, I take photos. I'll be like, oh, let me see some of your stuff. And like, I'll, I'll just pull my Instagram and be like, yeah, like, go ahead and like scroll through it. I won't be like, yeah, this this photo is a total banger. It got 7000 likes like you better <laughs> like it. You know, it's just like, no, that's super douchey and just just isn't genuine. And I'll never do that. I'll be like, yeah, like I, I like this photo. Like if, they'll, if they ask me, what's your favorite photo? I'll be like, oh, um, here, this one's really good. And then they'll look at it. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But I won't be like, yeah, this photo is like the best photo ever. Like fucking banger right here. Like I, that's just, I don't know. I, I don't like that. I don't, I like other people clapping for me. So I'll make content that's worth clapping for. I won't sit there and clap for myself. And then people be like, oh, it's not even that good. You know what I mean? Like my yeah. cockiness, which I'm not even, I don't try to be cocky, but my cockiness comes from people telling me that my photos look good, not myself thinking that my photos look good. Cause I know my photos look good, but I'm not going to voice that if everyone else thinks that my photos are trash, I'll be like, Oh, whatever. But if people are like, well, your, your stuff's really good. I'll be like, cool. Thanks. I'll let them make the opinion. I won't like go into it being like, this photo's awesome. You better like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was, um, what I think went way under the radar and should have been memed to just a, to another planet, which was the video that Pete McKinnon did recently, which was he took a James Bond poster and he made a video about how he made it better. And I just think, Okay, so the guy that made that, the 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 person, the 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 man or woman that made that initial poster is like working in the industry and has been hired to work on a poster for like the biggest franchise in potentially a movie history, excluding like comic book stuff that has just tons of advertising revenue behind it. And like you think because you can take it into Photoshop and fuck about with it for a bit that you've just done something infinitely better <laughs> and you've decided that for yourself. You haven't even like had people come back and be like, do you know what? We're actually going to get this guy to do the James Bond poster because he's made something really good. You're just like, no, I'll make a video and I'll just tell everyone it's better. That that should have got memed to another level, but people seem to ignore it because it's him. Um, let's stick with YouTube for a minute. Um, I watched one of your videos earlier and you did something that I've not really ever been very good at. And that's to do shoots where there's multiple photographers. The reason I struggle with it is because I tend to be uh, quite reserved, surprisingly, when it comes to shooting. I, I kind of like to take my time with shooting. And when there's three photographers, you're kind of limited on your time or, or two photographers or whatever. You're kind of limited on your time. You don't want to be wasting time perceivably doing nothing when you're actually building a rapport or whatever. How do you find it working with multiple photographers on a shoot? Um, honestly, it was really cool. It was a really good experience. So the photographer that, uh, kind of put everything together, cause it wasn't my idea. It was all, um, my now friend, his name is Chris. He's also an amazing film photographer. I love his work. Um, but he like reached out to me. He was like, Oh, like I saw that you have a studio. Um, would you want to do this shoot? I was like, hell yeah. Like, like I I'm trying to network, like, yeah, I'm hundred percent down. And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get some models. You can get some models too. And the model that I got couldn't make it cause they got COVID. So I was like, oh damn, like I, we're only gonna have one model. And he's like, oh, no worries. I'll get another excuse. One. I like, oh. What a typical yeah, excuse. I, like, <laughs> I can't make it. I've got the most dangerous illness ever known to man. <laughs> Bloody models. He put everything together. And then like the day before the shoot, he was like, oh, do you mind if this other photographer comes? And I was like, dude, no, like, I, I love working with other creatives. So I like to see how they work. And I, I feel like instead of looking at it as a, a way of getting less photos, I look at it as a way of seeing how other photographers go about 
their style and how they, you know, how they do their thing. Cause seeing someone else work gives you a new way of doing something. So he uses, um, he uses a Mamiya RB67, which is like this giant clunky camera for those of you who don't know. And he would sit there and like set up a shot for like 10 minutes and then do the light metering do like the, you know, all the little stuff you have to do with film that you don't have to do with digital. And then he would click the button once and then he'd be like, all right, cool. Like I got the shot. Like you can take some more. I was like, like, that's it. And like, you only, you're going to, are you sure you don't want any more? He's like, no, I got the shot. I was like, okay, dude, if you got the shot, you got the shot. So then he would <laughs> let me do my own thing. And then he'd be like, oh, let me step in quick. And I'd be like, all right, yeah, go, yeah, go do your shot. And then same thing. He'd like meter, he'd do, you know, his little routine and whatnot, click one shot and then back to me. And I feel like just seeing him slow down and like, how meticulous he was with everything kind of made me want to slow down and be like, am I, am I actually taking good photos or am I just clicking the button because I can? And I feel like if I never would have saw him do it, I would have just continued to just like, you know, spam the shutter and get like a thousand photos. And then out of those thousand, only like 10 of them are actually really, really good. Um, which no, it always turns out to be the case. You know, you take a lot more than you actually need just in yeah. case. And with film, you can't do that. Cause like, especially if you shoot in medium format, that's like $2 a photo. So you're not going to waste an entire roll of just bad photos just because you can, you know, you really want to make sure it's perfect. And then um, the other photographer that I had, cause it was, it was me, him. And then this other photographer named, and she came and then the way she was posing everyone was just way different than I was used to. So it was just, it was just cool to sit back and like, see her, like show the models how to pose and like she got them into these really cool like positions and it was just like super flashy it's something that like i never do so i was like how do you do that like how how are you so like how do you know what's going to look good even when it's like this extreme and she was like oh i used to be a model like i know how to how to pose and stuff like that so i, I was getting some pointers on posing from her and i feel like working with the other two photographers definitely made the photos that i took that day a lot better than what I would have originally like gotten if they didn't come along and actually help out with the shoot and everything. So I feel like helping, or I feel like shooting with other photographers is going to, it's only going to be beneficial because you're going to learn things from them and sure you won't be able to take as many photos because you know, the time constraints, but at the end of the day, you're going to get a lot more value out of those photos than um, if it would have just been you and only you, because then you wouldn't have gotten the creative help from the other photographers. So if we take your um, YouTube channel for a second, there's some some really nice BTS in there. Obviously, this video of the three photographers shooting, including yourself. Is YouTube something that you kind of want to chase down a little bit more and do a bit more often, maybe when things open up a bit more? Uh, yeah. So I've been doing, you know, I started YouTube during the like pandemic and whatnot. Um, just cause I had spare time. Actually that YouTube channel I've had for a long time. Cause I, I made like a video back when I was like in eighth grade on how to watch movies for free on my PS3. And I got like <laughs> 500,000 views. So I was like, Oh, like I'm monetized. I might as well use this YouTube channel. So I'm using that channel. Um, and yeah, I definitely want to do more things like that when I, when, you know, I can, you know, I would definitely love to travel around the U S and meet some other photographers and do like collaboration shoots with them and just to see how they work and also, you know, learn something from them because there's some photographers that like, I, I see their photos. I'm like, how did they get that? And I feel like that's a good, a good indicator that the photo is good. If you look at a photo <laughs> yeah. and your first thought, your first thought is how did they do that? Like, how did they get that photo? that's a good indicator that that photographer knows what they're doing. They know something other people don't and they, they're not like, you know, they're, they're unique and they're, they're good at their craft versus like, I can look at a bunch of other, I can look at a bunch of mainstream photographers and I know exactly what they did to get the photo that they did. But then there's the, uh, these photographers that don't have a huge following and they just have amazing works of art. And it's just crazy. Cause they're just not getting the recognition that they deserve. But um, yeah, back to the YouTube thing. I would, I, once, once the ban, which we're probably going to go back into a full lockdown, but once things get a little, you know, safer, I definitely look forward to trying to collaborate on more shoots with people um, just so I can one, get that behind the scenes that I feel like is a lot more beneficial to people than people think um, because you get to kind of see how, photographers are in their actual natural like habitat. Um, so I, I definitely want to do some more behind the scenes and some more collaboration shoots with other photographers. 
And then obviously with, with YouTube comes the inevitable question that I ask so many people, which is, is, see, is being seen as a, an, an authority on photography something that would interest you? Um, what do you mean by uh, being seen as an authority? So I find a lot of YouTube, an awful lot of YouTube, and actually where I've spent the pandemic shooting film, aside from um, obviously doing podcasts, uh, the, the film side of um, YouTube the film photography side of YouTube is literally littered with people that speak from a point of authority on how something should, shouldn't be done, how you will get better at something, how you won't get better at something. Almost as if there is um, a little bit of a hard and fast way that stuff has to be done. And they are going to tell you that. And not always necessarily as negatively as the way that I'm putting it, but there is sort of, um, there's definitely a case where I feel like a lot of people want to be, want to be an authoritative voice in the world of photography, they want to be the person that's kind of dishing out the information as opposed to one. There's obviously different motivations for why you would give someone information. If me and you were shooting together and you asked me what I was doing with, you know, such and such piece of equipment or whatever, and I explained it, that would be uh, me answering a question. And I find a lot of YouTube. Okay. So do you know the meme about like a lot of you have been asking about my beauty routine? Yeah, Yeah. I know that meme where like no one's asked, but it's a great way to make it seem like you get a lot of questions and you have a lot of fans. I feel like there's a lot of photography, YouTube, probably a lot of everything, but um, with photography on YouTube, there's a lot of personalities that are saying, oh, a lot of people have been asking about how I do something. And I I honestly think, do they? Do they ask? Or do you just kind of, are you just positioning yourself as an authority? Is that something that would interest you in any way, is being an authority in any sense? Right. Okay. I get what you're saying now. Um, I, I, it, I don't think so. I feel like I make videos to make videos like for entertainment. I don't want to sit there and be like, you can't, you can't do this. Otherwise it's going to look mm-hmm. bad. Like, dude, do whatever you want. You know, there's no rules to photography. There are, but like, you know, they're not like set in stone. I feel like people that do that have a, they have an inflated self, like they have an inflated ego and they just think that their, their importance is a lot higher than it actually is. Um, and I feel like that's not someone I would want to be. I want to be the person that's going to help the photographer that just got into photography, learn how to do things well, and just give them, give them enough so that they know how to do it and not too much where they have to be restricted to a certain thing. Cause they think that if they don't do that, it's going to look bad. Uh, it's going to look bad. So the way I, I like to look at, th- at photography is a good photographer knows all the rules. They know all the techniques. They know how to do things the proper way. And if they choose not to do it, it's because it's for an art. It's to put emphasis on like the subject matter that they're shooting. So like the rule of thirds, obviously if you shoot in the rule of thirds, your photo is going to naturally like look more, you know, professional. But if you break the rule of thirds and you're doing it on purpose, it's because you have artistic intent on doing it. Versus if you're a bad photographer and you break these rules, unintentionally, you're not doing it for the art. You're doing it all those rules to begin with. And that's a good indicator of a good and bad photographer is someone who knows the rules and breaks them on purpose is doing it for a purpose. Someone that doesn't do it on purpose, they're just, you know, they're not good. And it's because they don't know the actual rules. So I don't think that dishing out opinions on, you know, photography and what's good and bad is something I would want to do. Obviously I have opinions and but at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, it's just that it's an opinion. It's not something that is set in stone. And I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, you can't do this because it'll look bad. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with, um, with regards to your own work, how do you go about sort of chasing down critique or feedback? Do you, do you look generally at what people say about it? Or do you have specific people that you go to that you trust to give you like a pretty impartial opinion on what you're doing? Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I get obviously get like tons of, you know, compliments and stuff on like Instagram, the comment sections, like nothing but compliments, which is awesome and helps boost my ego. But my girlfriend is super, you know, she's, she's, she's like the nicest person you'll ever, but she'll also put you in your place. You know, if I take a photo that's just like not that good. I'm like, yo, look at this photo. She'll be like, um, that's not really it. I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, it's not that good. And I was like, why <laughs> break it down and like, tell me, cause she got into photography because of me and she's been following a lot of photography pages and stuff. And for Christmas, I'm going to get her a camera so she can start, you know, shooting her own stuff. And she's developed a good, like, or so she's a lawyer. So her, her logical thinking is very, very good. You have to be a good, you have to be good at 
logical thinking when you're a lawyer. So she, she looks at it from like a, a logical perspective does kind of like what I was explaining where if it's like technically good or not. And then from there, she like goes on if it's like artistic or not. And then, so she'll give me like really good, honest feedback. And she'll be like, yeah, like I, I like this photo, but I liked it better when you did it this kind of way. And like, we'll sit there and edit together. And she'll kind of like, tell me, you know, if she thinks it looks good or not. I mean, at the end of the day, if she thinks it looks like, butt and I like it, I'm still going to post it because it's my photo, not hers. But I think it's still, you know, good to get someone's perspective that actually, is close to you and isn't, you know, afraid to hurt your feelings. Um, which by the way, like my feelings are never hurt. Like someone can be like, your photo sucks. I'll be like, cool, thanks. And I'll still post it. Cause I, I, I personally like it and I do it for myself, not for anyone else. But, um, I, where I get my feedback from is either my girlfriend or like close friends. Um, because I feel like a lot of people on the internet are, they're like fake nice. They'll tell you your stuff looks good. And then even if it doesn't, and I feel like that's why a lot of photographers and like a lot of mainstream photographers that aren't that good are where they are. It's because people give them like fake, nice compliments and stuff. And I would love people to give me like actual critiques and not just like, you know, I, I, I want people to give me actual critiques, but what happens is they never do that. They just go and tell you that your stuff's garbage and then they like leave it at that. And it's like, okay, that's not very helpful at all, but <laughs> thank you for your opinion. Years ago, I remember getting asked to do a, critique on someone's work and I I kind of I've got a very I've got a very hard line with this kind of thing where I'm just going to kind of I, I I'm going to be very stream of consciousness about it I'm just going to say what I see and um maybe not construct it in the way that's the most useful or the most palatable but I'll just say what I think so generally pe- people just don't and that's fine um and this this one guy kept asking kept asking kept asking and Eventually we went through the, like, are you sure? Are you a hundred percent? You know that I'm going to say whatever I think. And we get to the end of it and I was, I looked for his images and there was a lot of sort of technical competency there. Um, but I said to him, like uh, everything you've, you've done, I've seen done better by someone else that's in your direct sort of peer group. So in England, there's, there's a website, I think it's now international, but it's also dying. And there's a website for model models and photographers to kind of meet up and whatnot. And it's called Purple Port. Uh, I left it this year, which I was so relieved to um, after years of, of hoping I could get to the point where I could. And uh, it's, it's a bit of a shit show of a website, but essentially there are certain models that are very prolific on this website and England's a small country. So these models proverbially get around quite a bit to different parts of the country and get photographed. And basically every single image that he had was of a particular model that was very well known doing a thing that she was well known for. So there was no sort of congruency to the overall portfolio. And then there was no originality to the individual images. And I literally just said to him, you know, I I don't know a better way of putting it, but I just, I've seen a better version of, of every image done by someone else. And he just literally never spoke to me again. (laughs) Um, So I've, I've definitely got to do a lot of learning on how it is that I go about delivering information when it comes to critiques and stuff. If it makes anyone feel better, I'm generally a lot harsher on myself than I am on anyone else. And with that in mind, a question that I really enjoy asking people is just, what do you think your biggest weakness is as a photographer? I think, I think my biggest weakness as a photographer is my ability to communicate what I want. So a lot of the times when I'm posing, you know, like I said earlier, I do most of the, you know, direction during a photo. Um, it like I'll have this image in my mind and it's so hard for me to like put it into words on what I want. Cause I can't like show them a preview of my, like my mind, you know, I can't like give them a, a visual preview of it because it's like, you know, my stuff isn't super like prevalent. It's not, I can't make a mood board of the exact photo that I want to get. So my hardest part is definitely just figuring out how to convey what I want to, what I want to actually capture. Um, and for the most part, I've been able to do it, but there's this, I've worked with some models before that said that they modeled before, but it was very apparent that they didn't. And that made it super hard on me. Cause I was going into this expecting them to be like really good at posing. And then they weren't. And it was just like hard for me to be like, Oh, like, cause I would have to start my, like micromanaging to get the photo that I wanted. So it, it, it just became hard for me to actually tell the person how to get in the position that I wanted them to be in for me to be able to take the photo. And I feel like, yeah, the hardest part is, is definitely conveying what I want to 
capture because there's just like, it's like really hard for me to explain how the photo I want to look is going to look. And, um, yeah, that's, 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 I think I need to just get better at that and like learn words that can resonate easily with between people. Um, because a lot of the words that I use right now are like moody and like dark and like, you know, vintage and stuff like that. And those are just super generic words. And Mm -hmm. I I don't want to keep using those. So, um, yeah, definitely just trying to get my ideas to, to kind of come into fruition a little bit easier is definitely the hardest part. Um, also just like shooting in environments that I don't have full control over is definitely something that I need to get better at. Um, which is why I don't shoot outside that much just because if I can't control the lighting, I feel like my, my power is a little limited and then I can't really get the photos that I want. Um, but I mean, other than that, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of can you, for the most part, use whatever's available to get good photos. And obviously the fact that you're shooting continuous light, is there any potential in your mind or any desire to, to push towards doing uh, video work as well as stills? Yeah. So I definitely want to do video work and I'm actually thinking about, um, getting back into that for like a more of like a creative way, not just like, you know, fitness stuff like I used to do. Um, like I want to shoot like a short film and stuff. Um, and now that the Sony a seven S three came out, like that's probably the camera I'm going to try and pick up cause it's a dedicated video camera. Um, and I definitely, whenever I, I think of my photo ideas, I feel like they could go very well in like a movie. You know, I, I feel like they're very, I hate using the term, but like cinematic looking almost like they're just like mm-hmm. very, like they look like they could be like a screenshot from a, like a movie or something similar to that, like quality of, of production. And I want to try and actually shoot like a short film sometime soon. Um, maybe within like the next year, because I feel like when you add, movement and sound into the photo um, and to make it into a video, it'll add a lot more like emotion and it'll add a lot more ways you can make it creative versus with a photo, you, you know, you're limited to just, just an image, like a single image versus with video you have, you know, you can have multiple people talking, you can have music, you can have the scene changing. It's, it adds a whole different like aspect to it, which I kind of want to play around with. So um, yeah, I definitely want to try and get into more like, filmmaking and stuff eventually. So we've reached the point that I've been looking forward to the most. And that's not to say I haven't enjoyed the conversation, but there's a very specific reason that I'm excited about uh, listening to you plug your work. And that's basically because I want to hear how you pronounce your name, (laughs) because I have, I think, a pretty good idea of how it's going to be pronounced, but I'm fascinated to hear how you pronounce it. So this is the part that the whole reason for the podcast is to make more people find your work. And every episode is just about generating more and more interest in work that generally speaking, I just really enjoy and I find inspiring. So uh, where's the best places for people to find what you do? And for this one particular episode, how do you pronounce your name? So my name is pronounced Oswaldo. Um, so I usually just let people call me Waldo because it's a lot easier. People, everyone knows where's Waldo. So it's easier for them to just stick with that. But yeah, my, my name is Oswaldo Cepeda Delgado. Um, I have two last names. I don't really use that second last name. So it's just Oswaldo Cepeda. I'm super pumped about the fact that I actually had the right idea about how to pronounce, especially Cepeda. So yes, let's talk about your Instagram, your YouTube. Where can people find you? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't know when this video or when this podcast is going to be released, but I'm in the middle of changing my Instagram name just because right now it's Waldo in Wisconsin, but all my other platforms, I use Moody Darkroom because I feel like that's like, that's going to be my brand. So, um, by the time that this podcast is out, hopefully I'll have everything just be one name, which is going to be Moody Darkroom. But my Twitter and my YouTube right now are Moody Dark. And then my website is moodydarkroom.com. Um, and my Instagram is going to be Moody Darkroom in the future, but right now it's Waldo in Wisconsin. It's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, definitely. It was nice sitting here and actually talking about photography stuff. 